Canucks close out their nightmare road trip with a big win in Nashville. It is the Canucks Hour here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd. The nightmare road trip. It's like a, it's like in Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, where she yes. pulls, um, what's his name, Freddy Krueger, yeah, yeah, yeah. out of the dream and into reality. That's, <laughs> That's what right. the Canucks did with the Capitals and the Nashville Predators, seizing That's a right. big four points and salvaging a road trip while they leave four of their teammates strewn across the southeastern United States as a result of them testing positive. The Vancouver Canucks have defeated Freddy Krueger and the Nightmare Road Trip. Eh, something like that. Is. <laughs> few scars, few scars to show for Yeah, it, yeah, certainly. Sure. Uh, I'm Jamie Dodd. That is Canucks Insider Thomas Drantz, my co Their parents have a violent secret. <laughs> Who also covers the team at The Athletic. Canucks Hour, brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery, avenuemachinery.ca. 650-650, the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Hit us up with your thoughts. It's over. We talked so much about it that there was no games leading up to the road trip, so we hyped it up so much. We dug into it. We previewed it. We talked about what it would mean, Sorry. what we would learn. The nightmare road trip. Yes. It's over. It's over. Or is it? <laughs> or is it? Oh, hey, man, they haven't game, considered that their next game on the schedule is a home game on Friday. Wow. The Florida Panthers. They're wow. Going back home. First one in a while. But and it's against it the Florida Panthers who they just who they just faced on the nightmare road trip. So, in fact, this is like the Jason isn't quite dead yet. Sequel. Yeah. To the to the road trip. This is the last five minutes of the horror movie. The nightmare road trip continues at home on Friday. It's like uh, didn't Jason go to space at one point? Oh, that makes sense. I, I believe so. So we'll see. We'll see how wait, many wait, uh, wait, how many sequels. Which we can space get federation here. sent him to space? That <laughs> yes, seems wildly exactly. irresponsible. Not a great idea. Yeah. Uh, anyways, three one. The Canucks beat the Predators last night, and obviously, a lot of the conversation is going to start with Elias Pettersson. He scores again. He ties the go- game up in the second period, and that makes it three goals in two games, right? And the the scoring for Elias Pettersson will get a lot of the attention, and that's fair enough because when you're paid like he is, there's got to be production, right? You got to put the goal, put the puck in the in the net eventually. But the thing that really stood out for me last night about Elias Patterson, Drancer, was all of the other things he did. This I don't want to say little things because that's a poisoned uh, phrase in this market, and they're not little things. They're ultimately really important things, but just those consistent, clever plays that he can make to put the Canucks in a better position, right? It's a touch pass in the neutral zone, you know, a clever play at the blue line to keep a shift alive. We talk about driving play a lot in kind of an abstract sense, right? This player drives play, this player doesn't drive play, but Pedersen's game last night I thought was, you know, in moments, a great example of what driving play actually looks like, right? Just those repeated over and over and over again. Again, smart plays that put your team in a more advantageous spot that improve the ability of your team to outscore the other team. And not all of them are going to pay off with goals, right? That's some of them are going to pay off with crossbars. Yeah. But if you're constantly making those plays over and over and over again, you're going to outscore the other team. Right. And, when we've talked about... <laughs> if you slice and dice the opposition, if you're aggressive and have that killer instinct, then you're the big bad in the horror movie. Sorry, I'm in a Wes Craven theme of mine. <laughs> but no, you're you're right, though. Pedersen, what I loved about it was that Pedersen, and we talked about this, like, keep him at the wing. Keep him at the wing until it stops working, right? And, you know, the text message inbox overflowing with people suggesting that Pedersen is, you know, a winger a now. Winger. Yep. A winger now. And, and that lasted, like, six hours. Horvat goes out, Pedersen moves to the middle, and Pedersen continues to do all the good things that he'd done 
at, on the wing over three games on this road trip leading up to his breakout in Washington and then builds on it back in his natural position with yep. two young line mates whose ice time had been declining until they had a really strong game and were Vancouver's best line against Nashville, uh, led by Pedersen, you know, and he's, he's making these power moves on Matt Deshane up high. Uh, he's generating constantly. They spent no time in their own end. Hoaglander didn't even have a chance to disappoint Bruce Boudreaux with his defense. That, that to it me, was, awesome. was the mo- one of the most interesting things about that combination because, okay, you have a struggling – a guy, a young player who's struggling defensively. What do you do? Put him with a player who at his best, and Elias Pettersson, never plays in the defensive zone, right? That's one way to cover up the defensive faults of Niels Hoaglander. And I thought, you know, it was partly out of necessity because they're missing Horvat, they're missing Garland. But, hey, that worked to a T for Bruce Boudreau. Just, hey, you're not going to play defense because you're playing with this version of Elias Pettersson. Yeah, and well, and look, this version of Elias Pettersson lasted all trip, right? I mean, it's really important to not suggest that this is a two-game blip. Yep. Uh, from the Tampa Bay game on, this was inevitable. This was inevitable. And he took some of the sharpest arrows that he's taken after that Tampa game, which was one of his best games of the year, and kept building on it. And, uh, you know, kudos to Boudreaux, who should whip out the backpack machine, uh, backpack machine, oh my goodness, backpat machine, excuse yeah. me, the backpat machine, because he said after the Tampa game, sometimes it's not the first game you play well, sometimes it's the third where you break out, literally, exactly what when happened. according to script, Boudreaux, uh, tremendous hockey analysis from from the head coach, he nailed it. And look, when you look at the underlying profile of this road trip, Pedersen's at a 69.3% expected goal share, five on five. The next closest Canucks teammate is Garland, who only played three of the games, at 62%. So, I mean, he massively outperformed all of his teammates at five on five. He was the play driver for the Canucks. And as they come home with four points, the major reason why is that Pedersen took a couple of games that the Canucks were trailing in and broke them. He broke those games. Yeah. And, you know, now now we're sitting here. And the Canucks were the only team that played on Sunday. The Monday out-of-town scoreboard favored them. The Ducks are down to the studs in terms of what they have remaining on their roster, right? That is a banged-up roster. This is not the November Ducks at the moment, both in net, on defense, up front. Like, they are a, a you know, shadow of themselves. The Edmonton Oilers are fighting are competing harder against Jim Matheson than they are against their on-ice opponents. The Dallas Stars are frittering away their games in hand. And as all the other teams are, you know, leaving themselves, leaving the door wide open for the Canucks, and and let's, let's be very, very serious about the situation the Canucks still find themselves in. His team is tied with the New York Islanders for 22nd in point percentage. They're technically 23rd in point percentage because the Islanders have so many games in hand. They are behind the Detroit Red Wings in point percentage. So, you know, I'm not trying to, like, get ahead or put the, you know, cart before the horse, although I know the market is really excited. But this team under Boudreaux is now 10-3-1. The teams they are trailing are fading or are the Sharks, who are eminently catchable. Yep. Uh, the Winnipeg Jets might be without uh, Nikolai Ehlers. Like, there is, a, there is now a route uh, for this team to have an actual realistic shot at the postseason from a spot where they were flatlined, right? Like where they literally needed to be resuscitated in, you know, or late November. That's incredible. And if they're going to do that, that path is going to go through Elias Pettersson being, and, and you know, maybe even seizing from Demko the mantle of the best player on this team. 
Um, you've now seen some hints that that could be coming on the road trip. We'll see if he can sustain it. I think he can. I, I believe in Elias Pettersson. Our, our listeners will be shocked to hear. <laughs> but that's what that that's what it's going to take. Like, what what does it look like for the Canucks to continue to exceed the odds? Well, one thing that absolutely has to happen is that Pedersen needs to be this team's best skater. I thought he was the best player on the ice last night for both teams. He's the best player on the road trip. And and that's with all due respect to Tyler Mott. And again, yes, and Yuho Lamico. Don't forget that. I mean, we'll, we'll have the uh, what does the Yuho Lamico extension discussion look like later <laughs> later in the show. But um, I'm not ready for that. <laughs> as, mu- as, much as, I, as much as I like the guy. <laughs> He was the best player on the ice last night, right? And that's despite Thatcher Demko having another fantastic performance. Quinn Hughes, his excellent self, right? Those guys are have been at that level for most of the year, right? Where they have been fantastic players. But we've seen it over and over again. The Canucks were still missing that other truly elite player. JT Miller, full credit to him, but his ceiling is not as high as Elias Pettersson's ceiling is. And again, just to return to the, you know, the point about driving play and what that actually looks like in practice. And we saw it from Elias Pettersson last night. You know, you and I have talked a lot this season, Drancer, about the fact that we do still believe in Elias Pettersson's potential, right? And we get the question over and over and over again, what are you guys seeing from this player? What have you seen from this player to give you that confidence that he can be an elite number one center in the NHL? And people will point to, you know, they don't think his point production is there. And look, you've made the comparison. You've done the statistical analysis that actually for a player that early in his career at that age, his point production does tend to make you think he's going to be an elite player. But beyond just the production, right, which, yes, it needs to be there when you're paying him, to me it's that ability. It's the ability to just constantly tilt the ice in the Canucks' favor that truly sets apart Elias Pettersson apart and truly gives him that superstar ceiling. And you're absolutely right. If the Canucks are going to do – if the Canucks are going to make this – resurgence in the playoff race more than just a really exciting story in January and February if they're going to pay it off and push it right to the end of the season it absolutely starts with getting this version that version of Elias Patterson night after night after night I know on the morning show today they were having the discussion of is Elias Patterson back look of course he's got to keep doing it no doubt about it but yeah that was Elias Patterson that was the Elias Patterson I've been waiting to see all year And I have a lot of confidence that he's going to keep doing it. You know, we also talked on the show yesterday and you made the point, the point of there's the kind of narrow view of these games, which is how does it affect the playoff race? Can they salvage the road trip? And then there's the wider view of the Canucks as a franchise, right? And Pedersen's reemergence is also so incredibly important for that wider view, right? For where their trajectory is headed as a franchise. And as much as I sit here and say, you know, I never lost faith that Elias Pettersson was going to be that superstar center, it's still, you know, a big relief from a Canucks perspective that he's gotten back to that level sooner rather than later, right? The faster that he could get back there, the better. And again, if he's at this level for the rest of the season, I think it's just a massive burden lifted for the Canucks because they are not, whatever their goals are, and obviously Jim Rutherford has said it's to win a Stanley Cup, they're not going to accomplish any of their goals in the short or medium or long term without Elias Pettersson playing like a star. So it's that performance last night, massive for their goals this year, but equally and perhaps even more important for their goals beyond this season to get that Elias Pettersson night after night. It's a big ask. It's a high level, but excellence has to be the expectation for a player that you're considering building around, right? For a player that, you know, 
a lot of people around the industry were surprised the Canucks didn't lock up with a max term deal this summer. Um, he hasn't been close to that level. He knows it. Uh, I think he doesn't have a ton of interest in talking about it. He's demonstrated that. But, you know, there's nothing he can say. He just has to go out and do it. And if he does it, if he's if he does it, the Canucks have now put themselves in a position and maybe have a puncher's chance to do something this season. Is that enough to convince incoming hockey operations leadership, Jim Rutherford in particular, that this group is worth building around in a more prescribed way, right? That That is the other sort of big question hanging over this team over the next six weeks. There was a pause. You know, I know Rutherford, when he came in, said he wanted to wait until the end of January, but he was assuming he'd have almost 50 games yeah. to evaluate this team. We're now near the end of January, and he's going to end up eight, eight or seven games shy of that number. So you'd expect him to take a little bit more time. We'll still learn a lot about this team over the course of the next 10 days. And, you know, it's really important, I think, with all of what we're saying in mind, with the wide-angle lens we discussed on the show yesterday, right, to not get ahead of ourselves. This was a three, uh, two and three road trip, right? This was a road trip in which they come back having earned four of uh, 10. 10 possible points. So, you know, they salvaged things late. It was vitally important. If you lose all five, your season's almost done, almost. Now, now they've got a shot, but they've also got the Panthers on Friday. They've got the Blues on Sunday. And then next week, they've got Edmonton and Winnipeg. And those games, even more so than the games against Huge. you know two of the yeah. top five teams in the hockey in, in St. Louis and Florida, that is everything for this team because those are the teams you need to catch. Like, we'll see where this team's at in a week, but they've put themselves in a really good spot to keep the fire burning and to keep the pressure on the new president of hockey operations, or at least to complicate his decision-making process. And and look, full credit, full credit goes well, to I the think, players who've accomplished it. I don't think there's any question that they have complicated the decision-making process. And, you know, as we look at... Uh, I still think it's premature. Sure. I still think it's premature. At this point, they have. Now, could that, that ebb if they don't pay it off, right, with these home games coming up against, as you said, top competition? You for just, sure. You just hear them discuss the roster, though, right? I mean, I thought it's it fair. was... I thought it spoke volumes, that Bruce Boudreaux was asked what he's learned about the team. Yeah. And, you know, he was like, yeah, heart and resilience, but Demko. And then went on and on about Demko. And I, I get fans in my mentions. I had one fan in my mentions, and I loved the tweet because it was like, and when this team wins, it's because of Demko, they said to me. And when this team loses, it's because of a poorly constructed roster. And I thought to myself, I thought, you think you're owning my analysis, but I actually think your analysis yes, is spot correct. on. Like, that's great. That's really good analysis of where this team's at. They need Demko at such a high level. This team's number one in the NHL. Do you know this? That no other team in the NHL has as high a five-on-five save percentage as the Canucks do? There you go. Number one. Number one in the league. It's incredible what Demko has accomplished. Uh, so we'll see, we'll see where this goes. I, I really don't think they've done enough yet to complicate the decision. Uh, a three salvaging uh 0-3 road trip to go 2 and 3 is good, but th- they need to see more. I I'm, I'm sure Rutherford needs to see more. He should need to see more. And when you hear the commentary about the roster, I think there is a preternatural level of awareness about how far this club still has to go to get to where Rutherford wants it to go, which is 
you know, contending for a cup, yeah. right? This is not a guy who's here for a good time. Like, this is a guy. Or, this is or a, guy, a long time. <laughs> potentially or a long time. No, this is a guy, though. This is a guy, though, who is chasing history, right? It's really important to keep this in mind. Rutherford has won a Stanley Cup in two markets. That puts him in very rare company in the history of NHL executives. If you do it a third time and you do it in the equivalent of, you know, I mean, what? Probably not the Chicago Cubs. It's probably not what Theo Epstein accomplished winning a World Series for the Red Sox and the Cubs. But yeah. it's not far away. Um, you do it a third time in a third market, then the the company you keep is like Sam Pollock, right? Like R- Rutherford can become hands down one of, if not the greatest executives in the history of the sport with another cup win. Um, I guarantee you his eyes are trained on the prize. And and sort of one thing, and I, I talked about this a little bit on um, on the VanCast today too, but I, I do, do want to bring it up. Like one line that played really well on this road trip, and I joked that songs would be sung in Vancouver for generations about their southeastern trip, but that Highmore, yep. Lamico, Mott line, you know, Highmore's an RFA, expending contract, right, uh, expiring contract. Mott is an expiring contract UFA. Those guys, more than almost anyone else on the roster, especially when they're playing together, fit the template of what we'd expect a team that adheres and is built around Rutherford's typical principles would look like. And I think it's really fascinating to see how much they're used. Um, You know, Bruce Boudreaux gave them a ton of praise for being a shutdown line. And I think how those extensions are handled potentially, right? Or, or, or ultimately tra- their trades are handled over the next yeah. few months. I think that will tell, tell you a lot about where this team wants to go, especially because they so closely hew to and match what Rutherford says about how he wants his teams to play. I, th- I think that's a really fascinating development, especially because the speed of that line stands out on this roster, right? Yeah. Because otherwise... I don't know that there's a lot of other players that match that description or that I could see Rutherford, you know, I could sort of empathize with Rutherford watching and saying, well, I've got that in place. But those guys almost look like uh, a Rutherford Penguins fourth or third line. And that's a, a really fascinating development for me. So that's an interesting thought, right? Because it's easy to it's easy to look at the performance of the fourth line and say, hey, those guys are playing really well all of a sudden. They found a certain role. Maybe we rethink trading Tyler Mott. Maybe all of a sudden Yuho Lamico could be a fourth line center, right? And you heard Bruce Boudreaux post-game last night talking about, hey, if he he's that big body, he plays well defensively, if he can develop, that could be potentially really important for the Canucks. But what I... What I'm hearing from what you're saying there is almost like that their future could be kind of a litmus test for how close Jim Rutherford sees this roster, right? Like if he chooses to retain all of those guys, it suggests, hey, we're pretty close here, so I don't want to give up on a fourth line that's actually working well. But if he moves on from players who are, again, in the mold, the mold that he, what likes he usually likes yeah. and performing well, maybe that suggests, you know what? I'm going to try to find other guys like that down the road because we've got more of a, a building process in front of us. Well, here. or, or that he, sorry, I think, I think there's another layer to this, which is, or are they guys that he prioritizes keeping even ahead of higher profile and, and right. more vital pieces because they match how he wants to play better than some of the more highly paid or more valuable quote unquote players on this roster. That's sort of the third line, the third um, path yeah. that I'm sort of looking at that line as like what what about a world where other pieces are shuffled but he prioritizes them because they play the way he thinks this team needs to 
sort of evolve into playing, like like the way that they need to play going forward. Uh, Nate the Plumber texts in, is Rutherford going to sign them all to long-term brand of, Brandon Tanev-type contracts? This well, seems scary that is as the a analogy. Canucks fan. That is yep. the analogy. And I I think there's a reason Nate the Plumber is concerned about that. I don't think that, that contract aged particularly well for Brandon Tanev, but I I don't... Really? He, he's been really good. He, yeah. he had two really good seasons in Pitt, and then he got claimed in the expansion well, process. Sure. So he was valuable enough that that was something that they targeted. Um, you know, ahead of Zach Aston Rees, who was inexpensive and expiring. So, I mean, I don't know that the Brandon Tanev contract aged as poorly as, you know, um, as as that formulation would suggest. That's a contract that still carries a fair bit of value around the league. And if Tanev had been healthy, I think there would have been serious market value ahead of the trade deadline for a Seattle team that the industry now widely expects to sell pretty aggressively here. Yeah, and that's fair. Look, maybe I'm being too harsh on Brandon Tanner, well, but I think it, it comes well, it back the, it to was, the... Um, what was it, Nate? Uh, yeah, Nate the Plumber. Nate the Plumber, yeah. It comes back, though, I think, to the kind of persistent fear in Vancouver about committing term to, you know, bottom half of your roster uh, players, right? Which is extremely fair. justified. Extremely, fear. extremely fair. Um, the, other, uh, the other part of that, we have lots of texts coming in about uh, the... You know, the uh, shutdown line. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I still, I still think that with Tyler Mott going into being a UFA in particular, that the the temptation to trade him is going to be too significant at the deadline. I, and I understand he fits the mold and all of that, but if you are, if you're looking at it as Jim Rutherford and as you suggest, maybe thinking, okay, some of these other more high profile core players might need to be switched out. That's kind of inherently a more difficult, complicated process, and I wonder if, as a result of that, even if you really like Tyler Mott, the decision still has to be made. You know what? I think I think we have to move on here at the deadline just because he's worth too much on the open market. Uh, it, I mean, it's possible, but but again, I think in a world where you think you're not four years away, but two, right? And you and you want to make sure you maintain the speed element. And add to it as opposed to take away from it. Um, you know, I, I could see them taking a different approach. And then the question becomes, are they able to reset their books, right? Like, one thing that's problematic about the con- to the types of contracts that Vancouverites are really sick of, right? The, the Roussel and Beagle contracts, for example, right? And this happened in negotiations with Tanner Pearson just last year, about 11 months ago, where Tanner Pearson's like, I, I logged the fourth most ice time in on this team, you know, I play top six minutes. I like how can you be offering me less than what these guys make, who are your eleventh and twelfth players? <laughs> nice time in Russell and Beagle, right? And it's like, yeah, you know, it's kind of hard to argue with that point. If you're Tyler Mott right now, and you're second on the team in ice time in the third period, up a goal against Washington, right? Like no, only Bo Horvat logs more ice time than you in that game among all Canucks forwards. Is you're holding a lead, you know. How how are you going to pay me less than Jason Dickens, right? I mean that's yep. that becomes a, a meaningful thing. So, you know, I, I'm really curious to see how it goes. But I just I think it's a more complicated decision than just the sell high thing because of the way that Mott plays and the way that Rutherford wants this team to play over the long haul. I just think he's like the perfect mind's eye fit for an identity like a, a super vertical, speedy identity. 
a, a punt and hunt identity consistent with how Rutherford competed both in Carolina and in Pittsburgh with his teams, like built teams to play that way. Um, Mott fits that to a T in a way that almost no one else on this roster can match. Yeah, it's an interesting discussion. And, you know, Jay in Calgary says this Mott Lammy Highmore line illustrates why they should trade Mott at the deadline. Most notably, you can find guys like all three in the league at or near minimum salary. Trade Mott to a contender looking to bolster their bottom six. Bet on yourself as a franchise to find adequate replacements. I tend to agree with that. Again, that's from Jay in Calgary. But to your point, if there's. I never will disagree with that. If there's more. If Rutherford concludes that there's more major surgery farther up the roster the temptation becomes look i've got something i like here let's just lock this in right because all of a sudden if i move on from mott who i really like then i have to struggle to find that piece in addition to replacing all of the guys farther up the lineup that i might want to move on from and then that becomes a more daunting task well and and you also have to consider it this way what if the canucks stay hot what if the canucks stay hot for another four weeks right Keeping Mott might not be the ideal asset management. I heard Yannick Hansen talking about this, by the way, uh, yesterday uh, while I was driving. And I was just like, amen, amen. He was talking about asset management being crucial and about how this team has lost too many uh, UFAs for nothing over the years. And I was like, amen, Yannick Hansen, amen, which is often how I listen to Yannick Hansen. I'm like, testify, sir. Uh, But the the fact is, is that if this team stays hot for four weeks, the question isn't going to be about monetizing Tyler Mott. It's going to be are the Canucks going to buy? And that's where that's where I say no, and that's where I think it has to be a bridge too far. But keeping a piece you like is sort of like a lower-grade version yeah. right, of, of, of that, buying. especially yeah. if you intend to keep him, right? And, and I, I'm just saying, I think Mott and Highmore, because of the way that this team wants to evolve, because of how it's worked, because of how often they're playing, I think it's become a more complicated discussion than simply an asset management one. I think it's I think it speaks to the core of team identity and how Rutherford tends to like to build his teams and that makes it a fascinating litmus test to monitor here as we get into, you know, the silly season of uh, of trade deadline analysis. Uh, it's Canucks Hour here, Sportsnet 650. 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative, visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Keep your thoughts coming in. We'll read as many of them as we can on the other side. Also, as a reminder, make sure you subscribe to the Canucks Hour podcast. Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts, subscribe and leave us a five-star rating and review as well. Lots more coming up. It's myself, Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance, the Canucks Hour on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to the Canucks Hour here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650, Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drantz, final segment of the show. Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery, avenuemachinery.ca. I want to get back into the conversation we were having about the fourth line, Tyler Mott, changes that could be coming for this team, the identity that Jim Rutherford wants to build for this team, all of that. But I got to mention this. It comes in from Gurjeet, who says, any more odds from the sports betting wizard Drance for the masses today? Sat better watch out. Drancer might replace him for those play now ads. Gurjeet, my guy. 
Gurji's the best, by the, the way. The Patterson, the Patterson prop. The Patterson prop paid off. The the OEL prop, not so much. But that's a that's a longer. But but know. I still I still I still like OEL's gonna get some goals here. OEL's do. OEL's going to regress, and he's going to get some goals. Like he's gonna get some fortunate goals, even if they're not, you know, no doubter, fourth man's ice slappers from thirty feet away. Yeah. Like he's going to get some goals. So, um, you know, I I keep OEL at the top of my list. Let me um. Let me get back to to Gurjeet and company tomorrow sure. because I I want to I want to make sure that I'm giving only prime advice. But one one key thing is so long as Pedersen remains valued outside the most likely Canuck to score, go go place your money on that because he's going to lead this team in goals from this point on. Not even factoring in the three that he has over the past two games. Like from this point on, he's going to outscore every other player on this roster. So so long as he's valued. Anywhere outside the most likely next Canucks goal scorer, um, put your money on that. I like it. Yeah. There you go, Gurjeet. There's the there's the uh, the betting advice from, as you said, the wizard but, Thomas. But, but Draft. I'll have I'll have more for you. I'll have more for you yeah, on we'll, Friday. We'll for sprinkle sure. it in. We'll for sprinkle sure. it in. Oh here. yeah, I'm for doing sure. that. I'm doing that all the time now. Uh, lots of reaction to the Tyler Mott discussion, right? And you know, Tanbeer in. Mott is a valuable piece. He's only 26, but he's shown he can't stay healthy. Trading him is probably the smarter move, but I wouldn't be opposed to re-signing him for cheap. Maybe trade Jason Dickinson instead. And I also wanted to read this one uh, from Denis, who says, is there any way they can get Mott on a sweetheart deal or close to it? And that's the other big part of the equation. And whenever, obviously, you're talking in a salary cap league, it's not just the player. It's the salary that's going to be attached to him, right? So that that's the sticking point for me and why I would still lean towards at least at the very least shopping aggressively Tyler Mott and seeing what's out there because yeah I really like the player but it's a question of what the price tag is going to be when he hits on well, free agency I mean the thing when you're Tyler Mott is the minutes you play are hard minutes right and the injury risk is a reason to make sure you get yours right these careers don't last long Tyler Mott's a smart guy he knows that um you know you're not going to get you're not going to get him at like 1 million times four years or something ridiculous, no. you know, like there's no chance. But, you know, if you went a little longer on term, can you bring the AAV down? Of course, always, 100% of the time. Um, are Is there a deal that makes sense to do with Tyler Mott? I think potentially. I don't know exactly what that would look like. Um, I do think you would need to be resetting the books a little bit further up the lineup, though, to make it work. I mean, this team doesn't have much cap flex, right? Again, we need to drive home because uh, I think it's important. The Canucks do not have a deep pipeline of talent coming, right? There is not a bevy of top prospects just waiting in the wings to break into the roster. There's some good young pieces on the roster, and that needs to be noted. But, you know, pod, your Pod Colsons and your Hoaglanders and Jack Rathbone soon to come. But there's not, you know, like the top defensive prospect outside the NHL for this team is who Jet Wu or or Yoni Yermo. I yeah. mean, those are not even B prospects at this point in their development curves, right? Uh, up front, same story, right? Aiden McDonough, Danila Klimovich. Like, it's not you're not loaded with guys who are no doubter Canadian U twenty type players, right? You're just not. So there's a ton of work to do there. There is very little cap flexibility. Like, depending on how the cookie crumbles exactly. Over the next month or two, I, I mean, this team's poised to have somewhere between 10 and 13 million, right, uh, in cap flex this offseason. And an awful lot of that will be proportioned to Brock Besser. 
So there is no wiggle to dramatically improve this roster um, this offseason with, you know, spending or flexibility or, or the sorts of creative moves that you need. Um, the roster is, as we speak, tied for 22nd in the NHL in point percentage. I know they're trending in the right direction, but the, the fact remains that on performance through 38 games, this team is not a playoff team. They are not at this moment in a playoff spot, and they are a one in five shot to make the playoffs, according to Dom Lecision's model. And by the way, that's a huge comeback. Massive. That's a comeback. huge comeback. That, and, and that number really caught my eye today, and, actually, when you tweeted it. Yeah, and I, and I want to note this too. In the event that the Canucks do hit their long odds, right? If their 21% odds of making the playoffs do pay off, in the history of Dom's GSVA model, right? Game score value added model. They will have accomplished the largest probability comeback in the history of the model, which go. is it's like a five-year-old model, right? Which means that they're one percent odds. Like, well, how can it be one percent? Like that should happen all the time. It's like, well, actually, this model's been around for five seasons, so it's happened 150 times, and no team with one percent odds has ever done it. So it seems reasonably well calibrated. Um, the Canucks would be the largest comeback ever in the event. So, but point is, roster's not good. Roster's not good. Cap flexibility is limited. Prospect system is minimal, and they don't own their own second-round pick this year, right? The circumstance that Rutherford is inheriting is daunting, like really daunting. This is, this organization needs a ton of work to get back on the rails. They have bled value in every aspect of hockey operations for most of the past decade. And now, you know, the work required to get back to the mountaintop is significant. It's a it's a really steep climb. And within that context, all of the texters texting in and talking about Mott as a trade chip, I mean, that makes sense. But part of getting there too requires you to establish an, uh, an identity, a play style, um, and, and one that I think matches Rutherford's overall principles as, as, a, as a team builder. And, and, you know, Rutherford's teams, one, one thing that Rutherford's teams, especially his cup-winning teams, have in common, right? There's two things in particular. One is a ton of speed, right? The second is he probably has won the two cups in the, in the last 25 years with the least impressive defense scores. If you were going to rank the defense scores of the last 25 huh. Stanley Cup winners, Rutherford's three winners probably rank in the bottom five. Yeah. All three of them. All three of them. I mean, I think the Carolina Hurricanes' top defenseman scorer was Frantisek Caberlet. Like, not even his better brother. It was the worst Caberlet. Um, so, you know, that that's one part of it. And then the other part of it is a massive amount of team speed. And, and let's add one third aspect. When the Carolina Hurricanes won their cup, like, they beat the market. They were super aggressive. They were one of the most aggressive teams of the last 30 years at the trade deadline. And it wasn't at the trade deadline. He jumped the market yep. in January. I think it was Doug Waite. He added Doug Waite at like a huge cost before. So he bides his time. He builds his fast team. He waits till he has his star level players in Carolina. It was Stahl and Brindamore. And I know it's easy to forget that Brindamore was like a 25-minute perennial selkie guy winning 60% of draws it's before the behind the net era so we didn't have the advanced yes. stats but i bet you his i bet you his Corsi 4 was ridiculous and and eric stall who was a 100 point player in an era when that was a very rare thing indeed so you know he he builds around a couple superstars right and he wait he bides his time he builds a defense that can hold up and play this punt and hunt style with fast support oh the really fast supporting cast 
and then he goes all in hard when he thinks the time is right. That that those are those that's the basic parameters of of what Rutherford has done to win his cups in the past. So, you know, what does that look like in Vancouver? That's a really tough one to answer because this team's so far away, right? I, I think a lot does probably depend on Pedersen, right? I, I think a lot probably does depend on Horvat and and how he waits where they're at in their overall development. We know that in Hughes, you probably see your very, very, very premium version of Frantisek Cavalier. Yeah, to say the least, yes. Or, or, your, or your, your Chris Letang analog. Yep. And we know because this is the one thing that Boudreaux and Rutherford and Derek Clancy and everyone who's spoken on the record uh, from the Canucks' new leadership group agrees on, Demko's amazing. Yeah, they love Demko. They, and we all, as they should. We all love Demko. As they should. Anyone, anyone who likes watching their team win hockey likes Thatcher, likes Thatcher Demko. Demko. Yeah. And so you get to this point where uh, what's next for this team becomes a really complicated answer. But, you know, to bring it back to Tyler Mott, I, I do think that there is a world where Mott is valued well above, again, some players who are likely to outscore him, are likely to be paid more than him, are likely to have more trade and market value than him because of the fact that, you know, as you look through what you've got, he's one guy that fits your template to a T. And so I would expect Rutherford to go about trying to reallocate cap space I wouldn't expect Rutherford to think that this is the team to push into the middle four, and I would expect um, I would expect some moves before the deadline. I think you're going to oh, see yeah. him try to, um, you know, whether they're problem for problem trades, money in money out deals, uh, deals to add to the speed of the group. I do think you'll see some sort of minor moves uh, before March 21st, but I, I really don't think we're going to see the real shaping decisions come this season. Cause I just think they're too hard to do right now. Especially if you are talking about more significant players. I could be surprised though. Right. I it, could be surprised. Well, there's, it's, it's Jim Rutherford. So yeah, you he's never aggressive. Know, right? And, and there's some, and there's some interesting situations to monitor. I mean, we'll get into, we'll get into them more this week, but I, uh, you know, you, you look at Besser, you look yep. at, um, you know, you look up and down the roster and I know people bring up like Pullman, Hamannick and, Dickinson are kind of like the new guys that get brought up because of their cap numbers. One thing to note about Tucker Pullman, okay, and and I've been pretty harsh on his play throughout the course of the season, uh, while noting that his defensive contributions have been good, that I like his mobility. Pullman profiles, especially at a 2-5 cap hit, to me, when you know I talk about Mott fitting the template, I, I kind of think Pullman fits the template too, because you know, you look through the Glenn Wesleys and yeah. the Tim Gleasons and the uh, Brian Dumoulins, um, you know, the Trevor Daly's that Rutherford has won with in the past. Like part of what he likes to do is, is play some of that punt and hunt style, have defenders who can hold up in their own end. And, you know, whether they have the best first pass or the, the best puck handling ability overall, so long as they can be sturdy, so long as they can keep up, prevent goals, and flip the puck for forwards to go chase in the neutral zone, they kind of work with what Rutherford likes to try and accomplish. I, I, I kind of look at Pullman as a guy who could potentially suit, like, you know, 
isn't he righty new NHL version of Brian Dumoulin? I mean, what's the gap there? I yeah. don't know that it's massive. Well, and it were, as you say, that style from the defense works in concert with the vision for the forward group, right? Which is that mm-hmm. speed who can get on the end of that, that punt and hunt, right? When it's flipped up into the neutral zone, you have the Tyler Motts and the speed up and down the lineup who can go chase and who can go pursue that puck. Who can make it hold up. Exactly. I want to I want to continue that conversation about the identity that Jim Rutherford is trying to build or might be trying to build here with the Canucks. Has we tended to build, We yeah. do have a lot, uh, a little bit of breaking news here, though. We knew the NHL schedule, uh, the you oh, know, beautiful. rejigged NHL schedule was going to be released this week. It has been announced, so here's how it affects the Vancouver Canucks. They have a total of seven games that they need to remake, uh, find a place for on the schedule. Six of those will go in what had been the Olympic break in February. So here's how it lines up now. February 8th, they'll host Arizona. February 9th, they'll host the Islanders. February 12th, on a Saturday, and yes, it is at 4 o'clock, they will host the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, February 17th, the only road game in the mix, they'll go to San Jose. February 19th, home against Anaheim. February 21st, home against the Seattle Kraken. And then the final game that they will remake is the one that was uh, postponed against Ottawa, which will be not until April, April 19th. Uh, at the end of the season. So there's six games in that window in February. Uh, and again, eighth, February 8th, 9th, 12th, 17th, 19th, and 21st. And then one against Ottawa on April 19th. So they still get five days off in yep. February, which is nice. Um, and then, you know, the, the, that Islanders back-to-back is not ideal, right? You get the Coyotes and then you get the Islanders on a back-to-back. That's that's tough, especially because the Islanders are going to play better over the second half than yes. they have over the first. Um, that Maple Leafs game, lots of fun. Uh, always look forward to those. And then, you know, no other back-to-backs there. And then the 19th against the Senators, you know, you just hope that that game doesn't matter, right? Like, I mean, at this point, you just sort of hope that game doesn't matter because that's the second leg of a back-to-back, right? It sets up a sort of out of nowhere uh three and four right uh, an out of nowhere four and six right with the flames the wild the stars uh mix of um home and road yeah right like mix and mix of home and road so you're gonna play back to back fly play the wild and then play the calgary flames on the way back that's a brutal four and six and that senator's one is sort of like the unforced one, like the one where the organization made a made a choice there, they've now set themselves up for a really harsh schedule right toward the end of the season, going into a, a, a brief sort of season-closing trio of games against Seattle, against the Los Angeles Kings, and then against the Oilers to close it all out. Um you you know you know they're going to need wins in those games and they have sort of stacked the deck against themselves because of what they did with that Ottawa game. Instead of it being you know, three games, none of them schedule loss back-to-backs, then two days off before you face the Kraken, and then, you know, a, a back-to-back to close the year out. They've now got comp- a compressed schedule, two days off, and then another three and four. Um, that's that's rough. That that sort of last ten games now, uh, I think, because of, insert, because of the way that Senators game is getting wedged in, um, that becomes pretty team-unfriendly from yep. a Vancouver perspective. And... and you know, if they're going to cash out these long odds, it's going to take them a long time to 
leap over, crawl over, well, they're gonna be, rugby scrum over yeah. their opponents, um, they're not, not gonna, ideal. They're not going to clinch in early April, right? They're going to need every last game on the 100%. schedule to get in, right? 100%. So, yeah, those games, if if they are able to sustain this pace that they've been on under Bruce Boudreaux, those games are going to be extremely, extremely meaningful. Uh, lots of thoughts coming in about our conversation, the direction this team is headed. Unsigned says there's only one problem for Rutherford. The Canucks' top six are slow skaters. Uh, somebody else texts in, Unsigned as well, I could see Rutherford moving Connor Garland. I don't think he is the type of player for Jim Rutherford. And those are both interesting points, right? The fact that as much talent as you might see in the Canucks top six, maybe they're not all stylistic fits. And I know people text in a lot about Elias Pettersson's skating. I think with Elias Pettersson, there's just so much talent there that you, even if he's not, you know, what Jim Rutherford sees in his ideal archetypal center to, to play his style. You just live with it because he's Elias Pettersson and he has such high upside, but also a lot of the people that are critical of Pettersson skating. And I'm talking about like super technical hockey yeah. pro scouts and, and those sorts of folks all believe that it's workable, yeah. that really it's a core strength and a, uh, and a, and a small technical tweak. Um, you know, that could happen like that. I, th- I think you work with him on that as opposed to also, also there are moments where Pedersen is ridiculously fast. It's not like he doesn't get around. It's just that his stride that's, looks that's choppy. That's the thing. His stride he, might, from a technical perspective, not by, might, he's not, not McDavid, ideal. obviously, yeah, but, but he's, he's not Barzil, but he can, he can, he wins foot races yeah. just like the twins did late in their careers. Right. The twins were always like said to be slow, but they became fast skaters. They were powerful skaters by the end of their careers because of the work they put in. That's what you try and accomplish with Pedersen. And Hey, you've got a couple guys who has, who achieved it in house, right. Who kind of know what it, what it takes to, to make that leap. I'd add Chris Higgins, who was not a plus skater and became, you know, just a, a, a good skater. Well, not, not, not a good skater, yeah. a, a core strength monster toward the, toward the later stages of his career. Uh, Canucks have a lot of expertise on this particular aspect of the game in-house, working for the team. So, um, anyway, Pedersen skating, not a concern for me. The, no. Garland, the Garland fit thing is an interesting point to bring up. I think you can bring it up with Besser, too. Yep. And, you know, it, it's a point well taken uh, because that is – also, uh, something you know, relatively close to something we've seen from Rutherford before, right? Where which is to rejig his top six for to optimize the fit, right? And and it's not that you have to be a burner to play in the top six for a Rutherford team. The um, Carolina team that won had Eric Cole. The Pittsburgh teams that won had. Patrick Hornfist. They went out and got that guy. So there are ways to play and succeed on Rutherford teams if you're able to do certain things. And and in Garland and Besser's case, you know, I'd look at Besser's work on the wall and I'd look at Garland's ability to win battles. And the question for me isn't so much are they fast enough? It's a question of can they win the types of neutral zone battles and get the puck going the right direction that are sort of required. Uh, that would be my bigger question as opposed to the foot speed one. Yeah, Garland is an interesting name. He's obviously had a really successful season Incredible. for the Canucks in his first year here. But you also look at the contract status. And again, it's that's a, value a deal. surplus value contract, which other teams would be very interested yes, sir. in. Right? So that, that those are the kind of difficult decisions, again, that... Jim Rutherford has a lot of them facing uh, facing him in the coming weeks and months. That'll do it for us today. We will be back tomorrow. The People Show, Bick Nazar, Randy Janda is up next. Make sure you download the podcast, subscribe, and give us a review as well. You're got, you've got it on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.